and welcome to this <laughs> oh god this week's discussion of part eight of twin peaks the return i'm andy hazel i'm Haley inch and with us is a very special guest authoress and twin peaks scholar herself claire ninnarelli hello Claire is the writer of a book called The Soundtrack of Twin Peaks that was published as part of Bloomsbury's 33 and 3rd series, which came out a few months ago, and is a big nerd when it comes to music and sound. So <laughs> I indeed I am. <laughs> you are the perfect person to with which to tackle part eight. Yes, it's very exciting. We were on the ACNE panel a couple of weeks ago with Claire and her uh, musical con- con- contributions were definitely the very best part of it. I thought so. To really? my mind, Aww. yes. Right up Thank there. you. Mm. <laughs> so I'm really excited that we can bring Claire to you, the podcasting audience, and you can also glean fabulous insights from her wealth of musical knowledge. <laughs> yes. Um, before we tackle part eight, oh boy, can we? <laughs> can I just get a few thoughts on you on how you feel the return is different because you wrote a lot about season one yeah. and season two and how music was used then. But the return is quite a different approach to sound. Yeah. Music. Well, especially with Bedelementi, I think we were talking about this at the panel. Um, it's all been introduced very gradually as more of the story is coming forward. And there seems to be some sort of connection with the uh, realization of Cooper or the realization of what this whole thing is about and how much music we're hearing. So, yeah, it has been very different. And obviously um, you've got these roadhouse scenes where we're having whole songs being performed by bands. And, yeah, and that's a nice treat and something different. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's certainly used very differently yeah. in the part we're going to discuss later. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Cool. Um, so getting into part eight, this has been given the title Got a Light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which um, comes into play quite significantly later on. Um, I thought this was an interesting use of a phrase that Lynch is likes, likes to do sometimes where there are dual ways of reading it. So you've got a light, got a light. Um, is the light referring to fire? Is it ah. referring to a cigarette ignition? Is it, there's all different, these different ways of talking about light being the very first technology that okay. mankind has brought in this episode, which is kind of a creation-ish. Sort yeah. of. Is, it, is it also referring to illumination and particularly illumination on particular things, on particular characters, on particular themes that just pop up in Lynch's work all mm. the goddamn time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one reading too, for sure. Or it could be just literal. The guy yeah. just wants a light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I find the, the most simple answer with Lynch is often... The most, <laughs> the most awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, okay, shall we dive into it? Oh, yeah. Sure. Right. Okay. Uh, so we kick off with um, following on from the end of part seven with Ray and Doppelkoop in the car driving away from Yankton Prison. And it seems to be a fairly banal conversation to begin with. We get a beautiful example of um, old man t- technology again with Cooper's phone that has very large I font. I was wondering about that. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> and how you can suddenly get the traces off your car by just driving really close to the truck and throwing it out the window? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I was confused by that. <laughs> it was like, can we just dispose of this storyline as quickly as possible? Done. So we've got old man burner phone scene. <laughs> Um, <laughs> just defies any technology I know. And then Ray starts to trying to make friends with Cooper. He says, I hope you're not sore at me for running off. Daria told me what happened and you need to get out of there. And they're going to a place called The Farm, which I thought was another great double. <laughs> <laughs> Ray's going to buy The Farm. Um, or potentially some place where he can manufacture things. Who knows? Um, and then we start, as the conversation deepens, we start seeing, okay, there actually is more going on here and it seems like Ray has been charged by Warden Murphy with uh, looking after Doppelcoop. That's the reading I got from the scene. Yeah, there seems to be more going on with him 
then we thought like he's not just some henchman or something. He, he seems to be part of the bigger conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Ray tells him he's got this uh, information that he wants memorised and now he realises it's worth a lot of money and so he starts trying to negotiate with uh, Doppelkoop. Um, and then it be fitting this sort of darker tone. We suddenly go off the highway and down to this dark gravel road and things get very lost highway very quickly. I it think. did mm. extremely quickly. Yeah. <laughs> the, the shots of the, the road and, mm. yeah. Mm, for sure. We got a literal tumbleweed on the road as well before it became <laughs> gravel. And then we get the, this really highly tense standoff which had a really great twist at the end, I thought. Um, it looks so – Cooper says to Ray, it looks like you're out half a million while well, like, Ray is off taking a leak. And Cooper checks to find the glove the glove compartment. Um, it does contain the gun that he asked Warden if he put in there, which turns out not to be a particularly useful gun. Was anyone mm. really, really, really heavily satisfied when Ray shot Doppelcoop? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I sort of thought this is too good to be true. Yeah, yeah this <laughs> There's no one, way this is going to be over. <laughs> this is one of the first times I shouted, no way, at the screen. Yeah. Um. Uh, oh well, we dreamed for like two minutes maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Cooper tries to shoot him. Tricked you fucker, says Ray. And then um, the camera, he, then Ray turns, shoots him with a real gun and then the camera slides off the tripod and moves over in this kind of freeform way over the body of Doppelcoop. Mm. Um, as all the people that Biss referred to in the last episode as monochrome mendicants. Yes. I quite, quite enjoyed that terminology Those woodsmen well. guys? Yeah. Ah. Everyone, people are calling them woodsmen. Some people call them Dugpars because of a, oh. because of a uh, quote that Wyndham Earl said in season two oh, okay. about these men that exist in darkness for darkness and are basically okay. yep. drones belonging to the Black Lodge. Uh, so we, I'm not sure which way we're going to go with, but other people seem to be calling them woodsmen. Mm. We haven't seen any mm. women yet. Smoky guys. Smoky dudes. <laughs> yeah. I think Diane podcast calling them sooty men, which sooty reminds men. me too much of sooty sweeping Sue. So I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't you myself. don't quite want to call from childhood that Let's just not mess yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. They probably have changed terminology now. I'm not sure because they weren't really credited as anything in the credits up until now. <laughs> also, they're in the credits. They're called Woodsman in some cases. Uh, so then they come out into this weird dance around the, the body of, um, mm. of Doppelcoop. What did you make of this? Because they seem to be ghosts, but they seem to be corporeal. Ray seemed to be able to see them, which threw yeah. throws our, our theory from last week. They're like, yeah, they're kind of like ghost figures, really. Yeah. And I, and it seems like they they spend most of their time not being seen by people or almost mm. willfully ignored by people. But clearly when this was almost them directly confronting a situation, mm. it definitely seems as if they exist within our world and they can obviously interact with mm. our world and they can obviously change things and they can also negatively impact people, as we will see later yeah. on. Mm. Yeah. And they seemed um, somewhat indifferent, indifferent to Ray as well. Mm. Like they didn't seem to care. He was there. He was terrified, obviously, by them. Like he was sort of – it was interesting they seemed to affect people's vocalisations. Like his vocalisation came out really slow um, and, and uh, yeah, just drawn out. And um, and they seemed more preoccupied with – at first I thought they were trying to revive Cooper or yeah, double Cooper. Yeah. It seemed like they were almost doing the, like, resuscitation. Mm. In, but I don't know if that was just the kind of movement they were doing mm. and then yeah. they were pulling out his entrails or something. Yeah, because yeah, they seemed to be doing this sort of dance, like a ritualistic, yeah. symbolic, ancient sort of dance, mm. which reminded me a bit of – in the secret history they talk about, you know, the tradition – the Native Americans, um, yeah. the way they related to the Black Lodge. Yeah, that's right. The, and the denizens. So that could be something mediation. It reminded other people online of My Neighbor Totoro. 
Oh, I think I saw that once a long time ago. With the dancing and the umbrellas and yeah, that sort of thing. Way for fucking up everyone's childhood. Yeah, sorry. I know. Forget I mentioned it. Sorry. Let's just keep Miyazaki and Lynch in separate worlds for the time being. Um, So then we get the head of Bob pulled out of the stomach Mm. of Doppelcoop. Um, which was a beautiful <laughs> bit of um, special effects work, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. I couldn't work out if it was like a birthing thing or mm. it was literally. Yeah. Or is it yeah. spirit leaving the body? Or yeah. He'd been, yeah, incubating inside him or something. It was very, very, very bizarre. Mm. So do you think that we will now see Good Cooper? I don't think so because his eyes still looked black when he woke up. Like, mm. you know, that's the other scene where he wakes up. I, I remember re-watching it and thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to watch his eyes and they're actually still pitch yeah, black. Still so black. I tend to think he's he's uh, not good Cooper. Yeah, he yeah. moves with a suddenness that I yeah. associate with Doppelcoop, But mm. I also right. feel like that, yeah, if we subscribe to the theory that a person who is influenced by Bob are still making their own conscious choices mm. in order to follow this kind of dark evil road i think even without bob literally inside them anymore they would still be the they would still be the person that's the result of all of those choices being made yeah but do you think he's just going to be like Like a residual bob residual bob Mm. yeah yeah right okay (laughs) interesting a twin peaks fan called charlotte weiss pointed out that episode eight of season one cooper is shot and that's the end of that season episode eight of the Mm. return cooper is shot and we have taken a couple week break interesting little yeah parallel there also, we should talk about the music in this scene because this was bananas and this is the first time I think mm. in at least recently the, the, this is a totally different show if you have subwoofers. Yeah, There was so much going on in the low frequencies and particularly in this scene it was, and it was totally a brand new style of music. Yeah, I really think I need to listen to it again with headphones because even with having I the bass speaker. It with headphones, it was definitely right. worthwhile. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was kind of pontalistic or something like these chords that were kind of moving in sync with these these men who are, who sort of move in a uh, disjointed way don't they they kind of um they almost look like glitches mm. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the music kind of is reflecting that because it's kind of glitchy sounding and i was trying to work out who maybe composed it and i'm thinking it might be bedelementi but right because it is yeah it reminded me of something like almost post-punk in the way that it was these plonks these mm, big synth oh, yeah notes. those ones that this, kind of ra- ra- rised up yeah ra- yeah yeah and, <laughs> and then then it progresses to being that with this kind of static washes mm. as you get the the sort of yeah woodsman theme music it's almost and there wasn't name. anything in the credits which makes me think it might have been bedelementi related because that seems to be the only person not being mm. directly credited <laughs> well yeah he's, he gets credits up front yeah any credits but not later on yeah. Um, yeah, this was like totally new. This is kind of exciting. Also, we should. Go, I would like to point out that we made an error last week. Oh, no. Um, well, actually, no. Oh. I quoted an error on behalf of somebody on Instagram who said <gasps> <Yes>. that. The <laughs> 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 who said that um, the 430 hertz tone played when the woodsman turned up. Um, oh, right. We actually, I was watching with a couple of uh, people who know a lot more about these things than me and put, they pulled out a frequency analyzer. And they just happened. <laughs> they have they have on them because these are the sort of people that I spend time with. That's um, cool. And they, <laughs> me too. I love it. Um, and they measured uh, that it's actually a very clear singular eighty hertz tone with oh, yeah. a slight overtone of one twenty five. Okay. So it's not even a division of four thirty. So this is a totally erroneous. So there's actually it would have been a, a lovely idea. It is a beautiful idea. So maybe they somehow were listening on iPhone speakers it or could something. Be, yeah. They could have been that cancelled out everything with the lower frequencies. Anyway, I'd like to just. Correct that for the record. Aww. Well done, thank you, Andy. It's a shame. <laughs> yeah, it is a shame. It was a beautiful little thing. Okay, do we have anything else to say about this 
insane scene that still makes you think, oh, well, this is probably going to be the highlight of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It was definitely uh, shocking. Like I found it quite shocking in terms of Mm. just these creatures kind of emerging out of nothingness. Mm. Yeah, it was definitely really affecting for me. It was definitely one of the things that I thought about a lot in terms of, yeah, things things from this episode that really kind of stayed with me because, as we'll find as we go along, not a lot of things from this episode stayed with me. Mm, okay. <laughs> I'm really sorry, everyone. I'm, I'm going to be a bit of a downer. Oh, no. I'm no. Soz. <laughs> much rather that than everyone just being a big fan mm. about everything. Um, also interesting, that came out of the woods. I thought that was cool. That there's part of the darkness in this woods that Hawk talks about. Possibly, I don't know if it's the same woods. It's probably not. I think they're in still, still in South Dakota. But there's always darkness in the woods. Any woods. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I don't think yeah. anybody really renders the darkness. As soon as the the, the moon goes up, it's it's creepy. <laughs> yeah. So we got a crescent, and we got to cut to a crescent moon at the end of this scene, and then we get to Ray back in the car calling Philip Jeffries. Oh, oh well, we assume. Oh. We assume. Well, he. he, says, he just I didn't pick Philip. that up. That's true. He just that's true. Says he does just say okay. Philip, but it makes me think that they're in this league together. Cahoots. <laughs> yeah, I wrote here, he says to him, I saw something in Cooper. It may be the key to what this is all about. Yeah. And that's when I went, he, he's got yeah. some kind of yeah. other involvement. He's got some kind of other involvement. He clearly understands, like, maybe he doesn't know what the woodsman and Bob are, but mm. he definitely knows that this is fucking weird enough and, and it's portentist enough yeah. that... And it clearly clicked with something within him and his experiences with Doppelcoop. Yeah, mm. so, yeah. Or yeah. His, or Philip, possible Jeffries, has given him um, like a hint of what this is about and what's mm. going on here. And there's maybe he's on the fringes of a blue rose. Mm. Oh. Don't know. <laughs> but um, yes, it was very handy for Ray to remind us all about what we should be paying attention to. Um, that was Bob's face. It wasn't something else weird. Mm. Uh, and then we cut to the roadhouse. And, uh, <laughs> so congrats. In a way that almost feels like you could be cutting back to Doppelcoop's brain and inside that nine-inch nails pop yeah. out of the Nine-inch nails. The, the sorry. Nine and I was like, MC nails. Pinecone. <laughs> I'm calling him MC Pinecone. <laughs> Who reminded me a little bit of Jimmy Scott, like his his get-up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, just a tiny bit. Thank you. Yeah, that's cool. I like that idea. <laughs> I love the fact that... The, that the fact that the Nine Inch Nails played a song in this episode is like the least interesting thing about this entire episode. <laughs> it truly no, is. Yeah. I like. I'm so interested that they clearly realised that. And we're like, okay, we're getting the song performance out of the way at the beginning, while everyone is still like, what the still hell? Still lucid. Everyone is still lucid. <laughs> Who is the booker for the Roadhouse? Because Jesus know. Christ, they well Yeah, connected. nice job, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I think it's interesting that everyone's going on oh, about, okay, so this is a bit of Razorhead, that beginning was a bit lost highway, but this bit is um, David Lynch's Duran Duran concert film. It literally is. It literally I is. haven't he's just seen that. Out his, <laughs> he's just pulling out his concert film chops that people often forget he possesses. So, um, I like the wolf. I kind of like oh. the song, though. It was cool. It, yeah, it was cool. It was um, like my 16-year-old self was rejoicing at Trent Reznor being on Twin Peaks. Yeah, Avec Atticus <laughs> Ross. Just, oh, you know, no. Pulling the moves. <laughs> yeah, I was never a big oh. you know, NIN fan, oh. so it all kind of I was a little goth girl into Twin mm. Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was nice to see those two worlds straddle for a little bit. Um, although I thought they looked a bit more Bono, circa Actung Baby with the shades at night time. <laughs> yeah, the shades thing. That was kind of... There's so many black leather jackets and long coats. There's a lot of really interesting band costuming decisions that have been happening throughout this show. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> anyway, and then we cut back to the forest clearing after we get the Nine Inch Nails song. It does go on for quite a long time. I was mm. expecting it to be maybe about was the... It, was it at least a four-minute song? It's at least a four-minute song. Yeah. 
mm. would be at least three. Possibly another few minutes that would go on that were part of the on oh, nine episodes. We've got eighteen episodes now. We better pad this thing out. <laughs> approach to yell some more, Trent. <laughs> so it's like if we're going to get do. nine inch nails and get them for a whole song. <laughs> yeah, true. Good point. Yeah. Um, we cut back to the forest clearing. Doppelkoop is lying covered in dirty blood. He sits up, his eyes open, and possibly this yeah. is this Doppelkoop sans supernatural powers. We've yet to see, but that's where we cut. Mm. No more. That's the end of um, Kyle. And then and it begins. We head off somewhere else. Yes. Okay, so to begin with, can I just wouldn't mind just putting this in a bit of context because we have had flashbacks before in Twin Peaks, but they've always been about Laura. They've mm. been about the locket with James, about the, the, the videotape, yeah. the picnic. And then the only other one we have is the Horn brothers watching the David, old movies. Old movies. Yeah. David Finch's sister dance around with a flashlight, whose name was Laura. David the, Finch's sister? Yeah, yeah. Emily Fincher plays Laura no Dabrowski, who's oh, the, the babysitter. The one. babysitter that oh, the Horn wow. brothers are. I didn't know that. <laughs> so, which has nothing to do with what we're about to see, but I thought <laughs> it's, very un, it's very unusual for them Excuse to do a flashback. Excuse me, celebrity relations and showing up in things is extremely important. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's all I care about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to have got for you some sort of levity in this, otherwise, fairly relentless <laughs> most of the episode. Um, also, so the people who've read The Secret History of Twin Peaks go, oh, my God, White Sands, New Mexico, we're going to get a bit of Dougie Milford mm. watching Roswell happen yeah, or something. That's what I oh, no. No. No, no. no. We, we are going to the beginning of it all. Yeah, so Dougie Milford was stage, stationed here as a sergeant while these White Sands atomic explosions were happening, but that's may not have nothing to do. It's got nothing to do with aliens so no. far. No, <laughs> so, far. so far. So we get a nuclear test. And yeah. The first. The first. Yes, and people have pointed out that the timing of this is interesting. For those who were observing the recurrence of the number 4.30, this happened at 4.30 a.m. Twin Peaks time. Okay, yep. Um, or 5.30 a.m. Mountain War time, as they were in at the time. Uh, and But this is also interesting because it isn't file footage, this is special effects. And this mm. is unusually good special effects, I would, have, I would say. Apparently, I read this somewhere, if it is wrong, someone please correct me, apparently it is the same special effects team that also did Gaspar Noé's oh. Into the Void. Yes, oh, really? Yes. Oh, wow. People who know what they're doing. People who yeah. absolutely know what they're doing. Yep. Yeah. Um, so also people may go, oh, we saw this last episode on Cole's Wall because mm. we get... So this, I think, is fascinating because as soon as we saw this and we're like, oh, okay, this is the beginning of something big. We know that Cole, mm. like the chief authoritarian figure for good in the, in the series, has a corn and an, and yeah. an atomic explosion on his That's wall. Right. The beginning of Bob, the gum and bosey. <laughs> so excited. Yeah. I also like think it's highly ironic that everything that was mentioned in episode seven that everyone extrapolated out saying like, oh, that means we'll see the appearance of XXXY. Yeah. I'm pretty nope. sure no one thinks we would be seeing nuclear explosions in the next episode. No. Or writing things like golden Laura ball <laughs> descends into a cosmic saxophone, <laughs> as I did. Yeah. Anyway, before we get to that, um, we've got a very slow motion pull, pull, pull in and we get some very interesting sound and music. Yes. I was very excited because this is one of my favourite pieces of classical, classical in quotation marks music. Um, it's Threnody for the Victims of Hiroshima by a composer called Penderecki, a Polish composer. I was really excited to hear that basically David Lynch was doing a music video for this piece. <laughs> it's, um, it's interesting because it reminded me of how that sequence in 2001 uh, where Kubrick used L Ligeti for that, um, what was the sequence called? Um, 
Stargate. The Stargate sequence, that's right. And it's a similar sort of sounding music. So it's basically a whole bunch of instruments having freedom to play what notes they want but using all these different string techniques and things like that. And so it's like a big explosion on tomba and it sounds like a big explosion in itself. Well, the interesting thing is I think the Theranody piece has was also used in The Shining. Yeah. I Ah, uh, yeah. Either that or... Oh, gosh. Yeah, it, I've it definitely has been different... used in a Kubrick film. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, been used it's... in Children of Men and a bunch of other films as yeah, well. Yeah, it's a very famous famous piece because it's just so unsettling. And mm. and what was interesting, actually, I, I noticed with the way that it seemed to be cut, it was actually cut with the music in mind. So it was reacting, like the shots were more reacting to the music mm. than the other way around. So every time there was like a sudden uh, entry of another string section, it was like something, something new would happen on screen. Mm, yeah. mm, and the movement of the particles would even mirror the kind of frenetic sort of bowing or something. <laughs> yeah, and I thought it was interesting that we began in black and white and then moved into these really non-natural colours. It wasn't... Mm, it was it, psychedelic. <laughs> it, was, yeah, it was really interesting the way that there was these heightened purples and pinks. It wasn't like the, the rich glow of a fire that you no. might be expecting. It was much more about... We're moving into other realms or we're moving mm. into these non-natural states. A friend of the show and previous guest, Donna and Wren, said the use of Penderecki over an atomic explosion is the, the visual equivalent of using Velvet Underground's heroin over somebody shooting up. It's like a very yeah. obvious Yeah, especially because, I mean, the title. I mean, uh, apparently the composer didn't initially write it with, with those victims mm. in mind, but it was after hearing the piece of music. He was actually giving it the title, I think it was because it's about 8 minutes 37. I think originally the title of the piece was just going to be 8.37, th- yeah. like in a nod to K. Age mm. and his silent piece and then obviously heard how emotional it sounded and thought well I should probably dedicate this to something more noble right, really <laughs> yeah okay. so it was the screams of the instruments yeah I mean it just it does it just sounds it sounds utterly hor- horrifying yeah so it, yeah to give it sort of an anonymous title seems sort of um unfair to what a massive work it is so it was interesting that we begin with these scenes of explosion and then we start getting these kind of dirty lenses and these sort of mm. particles and this chaos and then the black and white, mm. almost like fizzing, pulsing, I don't know, almost fractal imagery sometimes, mm. but not, not quite. So it was, it was interesting to try and read that as, okay, so we've got the ex- atomic explosion then we've got this other supernatural element to it and then we start getting what lo- feels like buzzing of insects because the sound mm. starts shifting. I feel like there's other things being mixed in there as well oh, okay. as Pendereki. Yep. I'm not sure. I could be wrong. Yeah, I might have to listen to headphones. But it seemed to me like th- there were almost insects. That oh, possibly okay. if there wasn't an atomic explosion, any life forms within its mm. radius of, it, of impact could have been somehow irradiated or turned into something else. So we have these little life forms buzzing, turning into insects, potentially turning into the woodsman, I'm not sure. This or is that thing that appears later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of those. <laughs> um, so what were, you, what were your thoughts about this, this whole, this whole ex- atomic explosion? It went on for a really long time. This was the point where I've I've really been... What keeps me going with Twin Peaks is essentially the emotional through line that happens with things. And this was kind of the point in this episode I'd been very, very much engaged with the opening sequence. I happily sat through Nine Inch Nails going, oh, this is... (laughs) This is a thing. Excellent. Good. Seems to fit. And then this kind of happened and I realised very, very quickly, I was like, ah, Lynch is going to do the thing that I've been dreading him doing (laughs) since I started this whole endeavour. Because I think we've, we've spoken before on the podcast how I was never really a big, massive Lynch fan. A lot of his films leave me quite 
cold or I kind of wish I appreciated them more than I do. And I was kind of really worried, like, all through the watching of, like, the first two seasons of Twin Peaks that stuff was going to happen, that was going to be Lynch doing Ultra Lynch and I would feel at a remove from it and I wouldn't emotionally engage with it. And that was kind of, like, the joy that I found with Twin Peaks was it is so reliant on its emotions mm. and it's so wanting you to feel for the things that are happening that there was you know there ended up being so few moments where I felt like oh this is Lynch just doing his Lynch thing and I'm not going to engage with it and you know th this is disappointing but oh well we move on sort of thing and I was kind of even with all of the stuff <coughs> happening in this current season that kind of indicated that, yeah, Lynch was pushing towards this moment where he would essentially go full Lynch as, you know, you, you might describe by, say, full Mendo with Ben Mendelsohn, <laughs> which all Australians know what I'm talking about right now. I was basically dreading the full Lynch moment where I would be thrown out of the emotionality mm. and stuff would just be happening and I'd just have, like be sitting there just going like, okay... Okay, I get this. Yes, I know what you're doing. You know, wrap it up, pull it up sort of thing. Yeah, this this was the episode that lost me. Mm, right. Sorry. Just just in and and I'm really disappointed. I don't want to be the person going I I didn't like this. I didn't like this experience. I never like being that person. I I always like being the one going like, "Yay, everything's great. And everything's <laughs> fun and let's all talk about the great stuff and yay." Um, but yeah, there was a lot of this episode that just didn't emotionally connect with me. I could appreciate it on an intellectual level because I think what Lynch is doing here is extraordinarily straightforward. I don't think it's very hard to figure out what's going on. I don't even think it's that experimental. Like I'm really mm. puzzled by people calling this experimental because it's, it's narrative. It's all narrative. Some of it is goddamn visual exposition. Essentially we're going into a backstory and um, it's very, very clear. Well, for, for me, what is going on? But I'm also just at a position where I'm just kind of like, I didn't need this. Mm -hmm. I didn't need so much of what happened in this episode. And I'm not interested in a lot of what actually happened with this episode, apart from the fabulous scene in the middle that we will get to yeah. shortly. Right. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Certainly not. So, yeah. You're certainly not alone in that. There's been a lot of people mm. just I going, being well, the party poop. I'm a Twin Peaks fan, not a David Lynch fan. That's yeah. what some people seem to be discovering. Yeah. yeah at true. The end of Definitely. The true. And I think that's a very important distinction to make. And I really love hearing personally criticism of what David Lynch does, because I'm the first to admit I'm, I'm not critical enough with his stuff. I, I tend to, I, I discovered him quite young and he was like my pinnacle of cinema. Mm. And ever since I've been, you know, an unabashed fangirl and I really like being challenged in that way. And so I think it's really important that there are people that aren't into it and, and mm. we can have discussions about yes. that kind Hopefully of stuff. Hopefully I can explain eloquently why and I just won't end up just making sad <laughs> sounds on the floor. So be <laughs> <laughs> <Pretty> sure. <laughs> but yeah, I see what you mean with Twin Peaks. So much of what we love about the original mm. series is that, like we were saying to each other earlier, the heart. Mm. And we, I guess we do get a little bit of relief in the following we, scene. We, we, do get, <laughs> we do get some sort of relief and I, I'm really thankful for that yep. scene because I thought it was very so beautifully well done and it kind of kept as an anchor for me mm. to keep going. Yeah. So would you say you're missing Mark Frost's input of where people exchange information through dialogue and conversations? Yeah, I think I was missing in general just some kind mm. of 
real human connection to what was going on because yeah obviously there's this whole mythological element to Twin Peaks that's very important as well but I feel like nearly an entire episode focusing on that really it it, it tested my my willingness to keep watching Mm, okay Because in the okay, so in the scene following on from this explosion, we get uh, this black and white shots of the convenience store. People with who are familiar with Fire Walk with me and the conversation Leland has Mm. about Mm. people in the convenience store go, "Oh my god, convenience store! What does it mean?" But Mm. there doesn't seem to be the facility for a room above it. No, that's what I was wondering actually. It's a weird little peak where maybe there's like a little attic or something. Yeah, not a room. No, so I'm thinking maybe they're talking about cosmically above, not Mm. necessarily a room above. But then we have seen a room in Fire Walk with me, and or maybe they just had an extension. (laughs) <laughs> you know, at some point it's been 25 time, you know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we get these bursts of steam and light and these juddering back and forth so we get mm. this playing with time thing going on again which is possibly Lynch narratively reminding us that you know this isn't happening in a linear time frame this could be happening simultaneously in 1989 and 1956 sorry 1946 or 1956 uh, so we get the woodsmen wandering around outside the front um, sound the sound design here is really interesting yeah mm. once again it was kind of glitchy like working with the the visuals there mm. it felt like when you're um, you know when you're watching something when you're streaming something and it mm. kind of goes into a weird sort of static state I definitely had a moment where I was just kind of like is this is this where and I did also pause it a little bit later on when all the woodsmen were kind of swarming around because I wanted to closely examine it in a still form because there was a point where I wasn't quite sure if what we were seeing was like a real set with real people Mm. running around or whether it was like some kind of like strange animation maybe with puppets Mm. and like a miniature set um no it's real people I stopped it enough so I kind of peer properly but yeah the way obviously like um the the frames were set up and and speeded up and there were probably frames missing as well in Mm. order to get Mm. that kind of like staticky movement going on and and that was really fascinating yeah the way that that was was constructed and just really messed with your idea of yeah sound merging with image mm, yeah. yeah and very reminiscent of early experimental lynch as well yeah yes. there was all this kind of um it, like i said i have to listen again with uh, headphones just to pick up on stuff but i could hear almost some like very low voices as well coming in and out mm. just warbled yeah what i thought was really interesting was that we got this juxtaposition of this huge act of evil against humanity this mm. explosion and then how it tied beautifully in with Haley with your theory about leyland actually making conscious decisions not mm. being just a victim or a smiling no. bag for to be possessed so this is like mm. humanity making its conscious decisions to be corrupt and act corruptly and act evil mm. and then we get these woodsmen as manifestations of a sort mm. So I thought Leland saying, you know, I let him in mm. about Bob. Mm. But humanity kind of let this, you know, Bob in to begin with by mm. this sort of yeah. act. Which kind of, yeah, it kind of fits into that, I think, general theory that a lot of people have that, like, everyone is susceptible to Bob, mm. you know. And, and, and yep. it makes sense that even someone as good as Cooper let him in at some point. Yeah, well, he's essentially yeah. corrupted by he, him. Yeah, that everyone has made an active decision to allow Bob in. Mm. So in Cooper's, yeah. it was very sacrifice. In a moment of weakness or mm. something. Like. Yeah, and with Leyland's, I'm imagining we're going to find out as this story progresses because I think there are some clues here to lead us to Pearl Lakes, which is mm. where Leyland was on holiday when he was a child. And yep. Yeah. Says Bob came inside him. So then we cut to space and we get this humanoid figure floating in an inky blackness, yes. vomiting up. Mm. What seems to be evil bubbles, and she reminds me of the evil, like the the eraser head baby, but with mm. appendages and oh. boobs. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of eraser head throwbacks. Yeah, yeah. eraser head throwbacks. 
experimental Be- film work because, throwbacks. Yeah, for sure. Because she has like this roundish bulbous head with these mm. two small horns, mm. which and the silhouette of which is on the playing card that That's Doppel right. Coop yeah. flashes around in earlier parts. Also, her arms are bending back. No. Oh, I didn't notice that. Just there you go. A possible go. thing. I'm not really sure if that has any connections mm. or not. I don't know. Mm. But um, she's certainly vomiting up things, and one of the, in one of these bubbles we see <laughs> Bob smiling. Is she face. existing within the nuclear explosion? Is that that, that was my interpretation? Yeah. I, think, yeah, I think we've invited her in because she because oh, I because the nature of evil with the Black Lodges goes back to Native American mythology, yeah. so it's been around for a long time. But I think this is a new form of evil and a new. This is like the spark burst. that opens it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. so I think she's got using this to vomit her evil into right. into Earth. Also, I think she may be the figure that came in the glass box. Yeah, Possibly. are you thinking? Yeah. Possibly. S- similar, like, colouring and silhouette, mm. definitely. Yeah, and yeah. kind of, like, gaping more, you know, suitable for scooping out the heads of two teens. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Delicious, yeah. Raw garment bozier. It's a, it's, <laughs> it's a delicacy in some parts of the world. So if we move on again and we get more of the, the uh, further cataclysmic footage of fire and explosions, more penderecki, more purple and dark pinks. Um, and this time we get to witness the birth of Bob and we cross over to a seascape in the Violet World. So the last time we were in the Violet World, mm. I'm not sure if this is the terminology everyone else is using, um, the sea was completely placid. Mm. It was totally Pacific. It was very calm. And now it's violent and tempestuous. And mm. instead of being in this cool pyramid, we get the room in the Violet World on this rocky crag. Mm. It's like a weird Art Deco mansion. It is. But compound, actually. Compound. Art Deco compound. compound. Compound and bordering on surrealism. Yes. Mm. Mm. Maybe the violent world exists in several places at once. True. Yep. Mm. Because once we go inside very carefully with the camera, we, we're at the beginning of part one. Mm. The same pattern, black patterned couch, I suppose. that, that um, And the monochrome. The, uh, I'm not sure whether to call him the giant or the non-giant. We all know what we're talking about, but he's yeah. not credited as the giant. So yeah. I feel like we he's can got, call him the giant. Yeah. Okay. He has it's a different, like triple question mark or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, he has yeah. a different role here. So he's mm. not like the giant walking around the black and white lodge in the waiting room. He's like occupying this different dimension. And he's credited differently. But anyway, so we, we move quietly into this room and then we get Senorita Di- <gasps> ah. Senorita Dido, who was just... It's fabulous. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> the most beautiful vision I think I've <sighs> seen in this entire series so far. She's just... Yeah, <gasps> on point. On point. <laughs> just, yeah. just massive amounts of cosplay potential here. Oh, my gosh, so yes. Much. True. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we get the gramophone that we also saw in the very yeah. beginning of part one. And a giant bell, which seems like a sort of signifier that of when things are amiss. Mm. I thought it was some like a almost like a big boy, like a good call because it's yeah. at sea and everything, and and also that the way it resonates, it made me think of like a boy on yeah. on mm. the water. Mm. Yeah, what did you make of this jazz? It's sort of it's like jazz. a. It sounded like some kind of Glenn Miller dirge. It did. It's it? just yeah. very slow version of like one of those um those sort of old big band. Big band. Yeah. yeah, it's like a David Lynch piece apparently. Mm. So according to the credits, it's called <laughs> Slow Thirties Room. Oh, this is. And it's a collaboration with Dean Hurley, his oh. sound guy. So, I really liked that piece of music actually. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. very repetitive, but it lulls you into it this does. state. Do you think that they actually wrote and composed it or do you think it's them taking music that's out of copyright and messing around with it sonically? That's a good question, actually. I'm not sure. I mean, it sounds it sounds fairly authentic in its instrumentation. Could have been just an older piece of stock music or something that has, like you say, been slowed down and distorted a bit. Yes, he loves manipulation. Mm, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Haley makes a very telling face. <laughs> <laughs> Manipulation of his viewers. Ooh, <laughs> no comment. Um, so she's kind of like so. Um, Senorita Dido is play is swaying along to this music, and her her gaze kind of goes from the heavens down to, in front of her as this 
Bell Boy. Yes. Oh, no, that's confusing. The Infernal um, <laughs> Boy Bell. Boy? The Infernal Boy. It just keeps ringing. <laughs> Large black object with gauges. <laughs> so it starts emitting this metal alarm sound. And then um, the non giant slash giant um, appears yep. from behind it. And looks at it kind of quizzically, like he hasn't seen this happen before. And then he stares past the camera. He kind of walks up to him so that we can see him in this beautiful silhouetted mm. shot of the room as if looking out, out through the window to, to see if there's something over the sea. That, but anyway, then he goes and presses a button and turns it off and wanders out of the frame and into this cinema, like, like the theatre. Yeah. It's a theatre. He looks yeah. over to her first as well. Like they have this sort of silent moment where and she kind of is looking at him and she's got this sort of expression that's a little bit concerned. Mm. So mm. they kind of know something's up. <laughs> yeah, they've been kind of caught to action or something. Mm. Uh, so, he's, yeah, he walks out. Now we, we get the backwards footsteps of him walking up the staircase yes. very carefully. Yes. With, uh, and then into a theatre. And I don't know about you, but I was reminded of Club Silencio. Yeah, I think some, I read someone online saying that it was actually the same theatre that they Is filmed it? it. Yeah, right, don't okay. quote me on that. Yeah. But there's a lot of internet speculation. <laughs> I stumble across it and go, oh, and that's again, nice. Yeah, and again, we roll into yet another instant of Lynch calling back to himself. Yes. Mm. I feel like that this entire episode is just him calling back to himself and I have some problems with it, but let's continue. Mm. Was it you we, in an earlier episode that was calling the series a bit like a great Greatest hits? It was is it you? A bit, yeah. yeah. Well, someone yeah. I heard say that, and I was like, if yeah, it wasn't it totally me. Is. I definitely agree with it. Though. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, also, uh, uh, Donovan Wren also point who I mentioned earlier pointed out that this is a very very similar theatre to a, f- a short film that David Lynch used at Cannes Film Festival when every Palm Door winner had to submit a short film. Oh, is that that big compilation film? Yes. Yeah. 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 So this, this may be the same location that was used. Oh, in okay. It. Cool. Very similar. And then we get this amazing organ music playing mm. when he walks into this. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you think this is a Badalamenti? I do feel like it's a Badalamenti piece because it's got so much of the stuff we love about Badalamenti within it. It's got all those, you know, those beautiful chords just echoing out into eternity and and then they're sort of slowly resolving and it, it's quite hymnal. It's a bit like a hymnal in the mm. sense that it's it's like being in, in a church and being consumed by this massive church organ. That's how I felt and I felt it was a very spiritual moment and the music was similar it reminded me a little bit of the sound that they were going for in um blue velvet with mysteries of love like yes. that kind of sound yeah, yeah. especially with there's a version on the soundtrack where it is done on church organ and mm. it harkens back to and and in the film when that is played Laura Dern's talking about you know the the robin coming down and spreading love and so for me that that moment kind of echoed that scoring so but it's yeah. like optimistic yeah music, i felt i felt it was i just think i mean there's obviously that you know, I call it the Bedelmenti bittersweet in there. You know, there's a bit of sadness to it because it's just got that longing, which is so central to his music, you know, mm. the, which is achieved through all that, you know, harmonic sp- suspension getting resolved constantly. You're kind of in a state of oh, gushiness. And mm. I think it was definitely uplifting music and it, it, it sounded so similar to, to his previous compositions. I felt it was Bedelmenti. Yeah. And I feel like definitely the way the Violet Place is being contrasted with what is happening Mm. on Earth in this sequence, it is definitely being posited as a positive place or at least a place within opposition to what Mm. is happening on Earth. Is it heaven? That's what I kind of wonder. Mm. Everything is fine. fine. (laughs) Well, that's sort of how I I saw (laughs) it, and especially with that spiritual connection with the the organ sort of sound. Mm. And particularly that it's set in a theatre, like a Mm. theatre is, you know, such a potent place. Of worship. Of worship (laughs) where you go to dream, where you go to experience life that is not life. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm, yeah, to watch things. Mm. To watch things play out in other parts of the world. And have either of you seen The Carnival of Souls? Maybe? Yes, no. I love that film. Yeah, see, that reminded me quite a lot of that. Yeah, mm. actually, the, the, um, oh gosh, I, I read an article actually about that score a while back. I'm totally spaced on the composer. But yeah, it's got that, the whole score is organ music. Yeah, because the, the main character is a, an organ player. Yeah, a lot of it's in, a church. in, in black and white. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's um, a cool connection. Well, yeah, I mean, Lynch has mentioned it before. And, yeah, it's one and of it's an extremely bizarre film. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful, very singular. Yeah, Andy brought it up with me last night and I'd never heard of oh, it, so now I have one to scurry away top 20. and go watch it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we, then we, the giant, or non-giant, whatever we want to call him, um, walks up to the screen, raises, puts his hand in the air, and then this film, the film starts playing that we've just watched mm. of the atomic explosion, and then the mother. And then they, they pour, we pause on the, on the scene of Bob in the bubble, which makes us think, okay, so this is triggering something. This is what's brought, either rung this bell or brought these um, non-giant and uh, senior reader Dido out to, the, out to this screen. And she walks in on this beautiful spotlight behind her. Mm. <clears throat> and then the giant rises into, or non-giant rises into the air and starts issuing forth golden firefly constellations out of his head. Because why not? Yeah. I had a little bit of an emotional moment in this bit. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. thought it was so beautiful, like just so beautifully framed and, and um, the light coming off him and, mm. and the spotlight on her was gorgeous. Mm. Yeah. It Considering was so... I'd pretty flatlined before this <laughs> in terms of emotional engagement and then all of a sudden this scene happening. This was your heart. Yeah, oh, my heart just spiked. Yeah. It was, it was extremely emotional, particularly when you realise that what he is doing, he is creating mm. this orb and there is some essence of Laura yes. or some essence of something that is destined for Laura at some time in yeah. the future because you see her face within yeah. it. In the weird, they use the prom photo again. Is that the only young photo they have of Cheryl Lee? I'm sure it's not. It's odd because it's, it's static as well. Like She's not moving. So, yeah. But then again, that image has always been the static image of yeah. like the entire show when you exactly. think about it. So yeah. I suppose it makes sense in a way while also being kind of funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I can work out if because so, so a golden bubble comes down. We see um, Laura's face in it. The Senior Dido kisses it and sends it off. But do, yeah, do you see this as representing Laura, just Laura herself or goodness as we know it? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if it's Laura herself. I think that it could be. You know, Lynch is often very literal, so yeah. it could literally just be Laura. It could be some essence of goodness, like I said, that's like destined for her mm. in some yeah. time in the future to kind of fortify her because obviously it's suddenly been ordained that, you know, she's going to be instrumental in the fight against whatever Bob is. Yes, um, yeah. And so this is kind of being given to her as as, as a means of, you know, mm. somehow enduring it. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting things that yeah. it could that it could be and I think whatever it is it's just breathed so much into Laura as a character she was already such a full character and now that we know that she was in some way predestined to go through what what mm. what happened to her it's both it's both terrifying and depressing but also kind of thrilling and moving in a mm. way as well, particularly if you're heavily invested emotionally in her yeah. as a character. Yeah, which we all are by now, I think. Yeah, yeah well, it's I bloody well hope so. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like she's um, a saint. Or yeah. something. I mean, you, yeah. it's it's sort of one of those things where do you see her as an 
an archetype character or is she, you know, she's symbolic or, you know, is she a representation of what is good in the world or is she literally in herself the essence of good mm. as, as a person? Well, if we take Bob as being the evil that men do, as yep. he's described, then she's kind of like our... The reverse. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. So is she because she, she was created in response to Bob, which is kind mm. of almost pretty depressing in a way that she's mm. coming to existence with this destiny. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it, it's probably reflective of how a lot of women have to deal with the evil that's visited on them because of men. Mm-hmm. So they have to stay so strong and... Mm, and you uh, have to stay yeah. strong and you have to just endure and and cop it and I, I do really love the idea that yes if if Laura is a saint if she is a representation of good then all of the horrible things that she had to deal as a teenager and all of the things that she was dealing with specifically as a teenage girl having pain visited upon her that is often specific to teenage girls mm. I think in a way that's a really fucking radical thing to say that even after everything that she went through everything that she was subjected to she's still she's she's still a paragon of of good mm. and light and yeah. and positivity and yeah, yeah. Got, got a lot of emotions about that yeah 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 I think well she's sort of almost like she gets to transcend all that all mm. those earthly um sort of uh carnal mm. um impulses of of, of evil and mm. she's i mean we see it in firewalk with me it's like mm. she transcends at the end there so. yeah yeah I, I think the angel iconography mm. of twin of, of yeah. firewalk with me is all of a sudden a hell of a lot less corny than people think it yes is and actually yeah. quite powerful mm. yeah exactly mm. yeah i think it's really really profound that she in this moment she's transformed from being a, a teen who to this kind of savior this kind of almost yeah. religious figure yeah she she's definitely not the the you know, the voiceless victim that no. she was no. at, at, at the beginning of the show where, you know, no. the first you see of her, she's she's already gone. She's dead. Like, she's I, – I feel like the – kind of almost like the mission, I think, of, of Firewalk With Me and then the extension of season three of making sure you always remember that Laura was a full person. She's yep. a person that existed. She had her own thoughts and feelings and she had untold iniquity visited upon her so that you can't just brush this off no. as your standard, you know, murder mystery procedure. Yeah. You just cannot. No. Absolutely, especially now. So it feels like we're going to get to see her again. Oh, I bloody hope yeah, so. Yeah, it has so. to. It has yeah, to happen. Kind of have to know, I think. <laughs> so that's something to look forward to. Yeah. I'll get it. I'll get a bit testy if we don't. <laughs> oh, okay. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, then back to the show. So the um, we, uh, first of all, we see this bizarre cosmic saxophone thing. Um, and then this, the camera tilts up to show this kind of this black and white ceiling, but with all this gold, blessed, mm. I suppose. Um, it's really mecha- beautiful me- the way the, the, the black and white. We haven't really spoken about the black and white photography, but it's mm. just gorgeous. It like, is. you know, if you're a fan of the Elephant Man, yeah, like, oh, yes. it's, it's all of a sudden coming back to you, like board. everything yeah. else in Lynch's entire filmography in this entire episode. Because sometimes <laughs> in HD, it can come off a bit strange, um, monochrome. Mm. Like I find when I'm watching yeah. older movies that are in black and white, but mm. this is actually this working is so to it. It's, it's very so, dark as well. Yeah. Like you got to watch it with the lights off. Mm, Some absolutely. of my friends were complaining that they'd watched it in the morning, you know, and <gasps> no, they were no, like, no, oh, we have to watch it in the dark. You mm. can't. You can't watch it during light. It's It mm. really takes and, it away. And, and the beautiful colour sequences are like so seamlessly worked mm. in. Like I was noticing like even when um, Senorita Daido is holding 
the Laura ball, for mm. want of a better term, you can see the glow kind of like comes over her hands a little bit and you can see her hands are just just that slightly in yeah, colour. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. You want to reach out and touch it yourself. You like do. I kind of went, I want me one of them yeah. Laura balls. I want Laura ball to protect me. Yeah. I always feel like we're, coming, we're getting a hint of um, Wizard of Oz again with the shifting mm. of oh, yeah. colours because, yep. I mean, there's so much Wizard of Oz in this thing. Mm. Always has been. When the Laura ball comes out of the... Cosmic saxophone. I've got to come with a better term for this, but at the moment. I love that. <laughs> you know that the show is not going to give us terms for yeah. anything, so we can make up whatever the hell we want. Um, so she drifts over Canada and towards Washington. Yes. Um, and then we wind up in New Mexico. Da, 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 da. Years tick forward in a very kind of... Perfunctory fashion. Good call, mm. yeah, perfunctory fashion from 45 <laughs> to 1956. Um, we get uh, the wavy sand, which is quite reminiscent of the wavy floor in the violet world that we saw earlier when they were walking toward this apparatus that mm-hmm. birthed Laura. And we're still in black and white. Um, and then we, an egg hatches in typically mm. Lynchian anima- stop messy animation styles that you described beautifully <laughs> earlier. I not like Holly. this thing. <laughs> I was fascinated by it. I was trying, <laughs> trying to figure out whether it was CGI or puppetry. Mm. Um, did you have a name for it? I call it the toad roach. No, I call it flying frog only because I saw something on Twitter and apologies for not knowing which particular Twin Peaks published tome this is from. But apparently in one of Mark Frost's books, I'm assuming it's one of Mark Frost's books, an image of a flying frog appears and apparently it harks back to Chinook Native American mm. mythology. So I'm calling it flying frog. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I went with locust frog. Mm. But uh. I was thinking religiously by the time we saw oh, this yeah, because yeah, of all yeah. these other... The sound of those wings, it just reminds me of when I was living in a house, like a share house, and there was winged cockroaches. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Um, that's that's why I can oh, It was terrifying. Um, and it really struggled to be born, this thing, or it struggles to adapt mm. to this. To the it just kind of slid around. Environment of New Mexico, yes. You know. Yeah, I like your. Its legs take a while to get going. Mm, winged frog, I'm, like, I'm going to run with yours. Mm. With your terminology, I think it's great. Yes, yes. Much as you know, we do have to also mention that just, yeah, the, the rampant pillaging of Native American mythology by Twin mm. Peaks continues unabated. Mm. Um, yep, it does. Moving on. Um, <laughs> and then we get the uh, rampant um, <laughs> exploitation of 1950s Americana as a young couple walk along in the moonlight. He loves his Americana, though. He loves his Americana. He does. His mid-century ballads. is about this. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Just, just the, the unease and the black evil that was yep. always existing under... You know, paranoid, plasticky. Oh no, everything's okay. Surface, yes, 1950s yeah. America. So it's almost like they've just left a Nine Inch Nails gig because a boy says, "Do you like that song?" And <laughs> they pass by. The kids them. dig those Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> well, we top of the charts in 1956. <laughs> <laughs> yep, along with, with the platters. Um, <laughs> I love that platter song. Oh my way. prayer! That yeah, was excellent. That, gorgeous. that was a damn good haunted diner oh, track. There's a lot oh, of valve yeah. amps involved in that song. It's beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. And they pass by a gas station, which cont- a convenience store, which contains a room above it. Mm, um, oh. I don't know. And then the girl finds a penny, and it's heads up, which means good luck. And she smooths the dirt off it, and we look at the profile of Abraham Lincoln. Do you know who is one of the number one Abraham Lincoln impersonators in America at this point? Oh, no. Who? Robert Browski, who's the woodsman. No. The main, the main woodsman who's into crushing skulls. Wow. So I don't know. <laughs> it's probably another nonsense um, coincidence, but I just thought That's I'd throw it crazy. out there into the mix. Have you noticed there's been, like I wrote, made a note here, that there's been a few penny references so far in this series. Mm. 
So they obviously find the penny then. And then Red does his little trick with the penny and he says, heads I win. And then there was Janie. Was that a nickel? Was it? With Red. Oh, okay. I don't sure. know my US currency. Yeah, I think it might have been. <laughs> but clearly there's a lot of coinage yeah. going yeah. on. And then Janie says to Dougie Coop in a couple of episodes ago, she says, don't risk another penny. Mm. So I don't know if it's a coincidence okay. or. Yeah. Interesting. And we'll, well, and of course, the, the buffalo dime, buffalo quarter. Yeah. The, the one that. The, 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 the hawk yeah. led hawk. hawk to the yeah. diary letters. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Mm. I wonder if we're going to get one of, each, uh, one of each. One of each. Bit of currency. Keep yeah. an eye out, fans. <laughs> <laughs> get these young couple chatting to each other. Um, the girl has this amazing bulbous dress on, which is a beautiful thing. She's That's a bobby soxer. The bobby soxer. Is, is that what she is? Okay. So, yeah, Thank you. Yeah. There's, there's a lot it's of on. Yeah. It was very. It was very clean. Yeah. She pro- hopefully she did some dancing earlier. <laughs> those things look like they may to be danced in. Yeah, and then they have this kind of sweet conversation and then we get a kiss goodnight and she walks inside her house and we cut back to the desert and we get the woodsmen falling out of the sky in their ghost form and then they start blinking in and out of existence oh. as if they're straddling dimensions yes. in some sort of way. And then we get yeah, then we cut to an elderly couple driving along a, in a highway um, and then this zombie-like <laughs> woodsman who seems to be Operating almost like as a, as a drone, which I think is going along with their, the fact that they are very basically programmed mm. entities that doing that doing the mm. work for the Black yeah. Lodge. I think they're very. Um, they're, they're, they're like automatons in a way. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. it's like almost minions, like, just yeah. kind of yeah. lemming creatures. It's almost like they replicated the first human being <laughs> I they love came lemming across. Creatures, that's they excellent. are. <laughs> just like walk off a cliff for you. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I feel like they replicated the first human being they came across, which might have been a, a mm. hobo or a coal miner or something like that. Yeah. But we haven't actually seen that happen yet. But it feels like this is what they think normal people do and look like and mm. how they move. And they start with they, this is where we first hear "Got a Light," mm. um, with this, the uh, part title. Um, we get the loud electrical stuttering, and the eighty hertz happens again. Or I don't yeah. know, we can start calling it the woodsman theme, or yes. I suppose because it seems to accompany their appearance. Mm. Uh, and the couple are really scared. And then we get that weird, cool slowing down thing that you described yeah, earlier. She, she starts screaming, and it's um, in slow motion. Yeah, yeah, and the, her partner is frozen in fear and nobody seems to be able to give these guys a light. No. No. Well, I, I noticed that, yeah, if, if, if people are slowing down when they're confronted by, by the woodsman, does that mean that the presence of the woodsman affect time? Mm. And that means that the woodsmen are actually relating to them at a different frequency mm. of time. Which means I don't know if anyone would be able to intercede quickly enough to stop a woodsman from doing mm. what they wanted to do to you or what they were required to do to you. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's that. That's my little thinking. Yeah, well, it seems like these they can be seen. Yeah, it's weird yeah. because in that previous episode, the um, oh, what was her name? She Lieutenant Knox. She goes to see the body, and then there's that there's one of them in yeah. the corridor Behind there, her, but she yeah. she sort of detects some kind of movement, but she doesn't mm. actually respond to it mm. yeah i feel like maybe the woodsman you you only see them if they want you to see them mm. Yeah. Mm, okay kind of like just a ghost present yeah, yeah. presence that mm. people that are more susceptible or mm. they make themselves known to mm. maybe yep um and then we get oh so then the couple drive away and they're kind of avoiding further woodsmen on the road who are kind of lumbering towards them like zombies and then we cut <laughs> to uh kpjk radio which is pumping out the platter's my prayer. Hello. Classic, wonderful tune. Um, and then we get a really kind of conventional shot of the, of the record spinning on a turntable, mm. which um, the blackness of the turntable reminded me a lot of the, the particles that we saw earlier oh, fizzing okay, yeah. around, but I think it's just a coincidence. We get a nice little montage 
of a mechanic in a garage, of Pop's diner, mm. um, the girl that we saw earlier lying on her bed in a, in a very kind of typically lynchingly sparse bedroom. Mm. Um, and then we cut back to the office window where we um, see a woodsman who is approaching the telecom tower earlier walk into the, the, the unsecured radio station and confronts <laughs> a secretary who seems very scared by the sight of him and doesn't respond to his request for a light. Uh, and then we get a really horrific death. Yeah, yeah. that was upsetting. Yeah, <laughs> and she moves in slow motion towards him as well. Mm. Mm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The two deaths that kind of occur in the radio station, I think, are on, there's this thing that I'm really not liking with with the new series where death and murder was always treated with such weight before. Mm. And it seems like we've just been treated in particularly the past couple of episodes to these kind of deaths that don't really matter or Mm. they're not framed as if they matter the only way that they matter is because they're very horrific and they involve a lot of blood and they involve a lot of you know let's play around with slasher horror tropes but apart from that i don't know if anyone else feels very differently but i don't i don't feel upset when these murders happen i feel more disgust than anything yeah, i'm mm. just like oh do i have to watch this are you really yeah. gonna do this it, it, there's the 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 weight of death is completely removed from them which Definitely. i find disturbing considering peaks was always so fixated on you feeling death and feeling grief and Mm. properly registering that that death is a serious thing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it is very interesting. These are pretty much disposable characters who Mm. are never... It's very much like exploitation cinema. You know, it's just sort of like a a little bit of... um, I must admit, I'm not a huge fan of that that stuff. Mm. I mean, I like exploitation cinema when I'm Mm. dealing with exploitation cinema, but Mm. um, part of what I love about Twin Peaks is it's... it's, um, explorations of like what you say about death and grief and I think that was the first thing that I one of the first things that really got me about that show was exploring those larger issues with a um sensitivity I suppose Mm, yeah yeah. I think yeah there's these sequences Lorraine got killed by like the spike um Mm. even to a lesser extent because I feel like we got to know them a little bit more before they were offed but the two people who got killed in the cube room Mm. yeah there there was something very gratuitous Mm. about that as well well and like with within this instance of the radio station employees i can understand it in terms of what lynch is doing here i think he's harking back a lot to the science fiction and horror movies from the 60s and 70s i think he's very inspired by anyway so i can understand it on that level as to narratively why it's there but i don't appreciate it as being part of the greater twin peaks universe i don't feel it fits because the only death we've had in twin peaks is the child and that was treated very like like it's huge and that's the thing it's it's not that they've forgotten about this they're still it's still very very much their central thesis but the fact that it's being peppered with all of these incidental characters being very gruesomely offed just and the sound there when like that head was being cracked open it was like a Mm. a hard-boiled egg when you take the shell yeah. off really, but really slowly yeah. <laughs> amplified yeah it almost seems more as an excuse for for playing around with horrific sounds mm. than anything yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's true the storyline continues the robert broski the licking it impersonator woodsman <laughs> gets can we call him that forever <laughs> yep, now we can um <laughs> He gets on the mic and busts another number one tune from 1956. This is the water and this is the well. Drink well full and descend. 
and the horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. Although there is there is conflict about whether he's saying drink well full and ascend or descend. I got the subtitles for yes. that. So what I wrote down from the, the just yes, watching so, it yeah. is this is the water and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. Yeah. Okay, you got descend. Cool. And so this is gets repeated over and over like a hypnotic mantra of some sort, mm. possibly some sort of way to make town, everybody who's listening to this little radio yeah. station fall asleep. Which mm. seems to be exactly what they all do. Yes. Yeah. All across the town. Uh, and then we cut back to the... Flying frog. Flying frog. Yep. Locust frog. Cricket um, frog. Toad roach. Who <laughs> 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 uh, seems to be able to own in, despite being alive for a few minutes, um, to find the body of the girl and crawls in through her mouth. In the, Oh. Uh, pretty powerful scene, I thought. Do you know how many spiders you eat while you're asleep? <laughs> oh. you know? It's a lot during a lifetime. <laughs> how many flying frogs you eat while you're asleep? <laughs> <in your lifetime? laughs> desert weird frog thing. Yeah, and there was a luxuriation. <laughs> <to> the desert. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a luxuriation in the sound and the time that it took for this. Oh, and that final out. leg just taking its time getting in. <laughs> Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> I feel like the actress was beautifully directed in terms yeah. of when to open and like subtly adjust yeah. her mouth. And yeah, that, that, that was very well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so too. Takani Faircrest is the name of the actress. Yes, she was mm. very good. Yes. I enjoyed her. The same. Then we cut back to the um, radio station for another horrific death. Yeah. Uh, and then outside, the wood, and then the woodsman leaves, Abe, Abe Lincoln woodsman leaves, and then we hear a horse whinnying in the darkness. Mm. And we go to the credits with the girl sleeping, and we get the same the same sounds from the beginning yeah, of part one. Sort of static buzzing sounds. Yeah, with the literally about ten seconds before Star and Carl McLaughlin popped up, I literally said to my iPad, "You're gonna fucking finish it here, aren't you, you bastard?" <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, but then we get a bonus information at the end of the credits. It's going to be two weeks. You've got to ponder mm. this one. So this took a lot of people by surprise, including myself, who was expecting there to be. So we get a two-week break and halfway through at the end of part nine, but but no, no luck, son. Mm. No, no luck, Sunny Jim. <laughs> I was setting up my TV to watch the finale of a show called Twin Peaks. It's Twin Peaks, and it's very end. I panic and change the subject to the Twin Peaks reboot till she gets bored. I mean, she totally gave up on Twin Peaks. It's too David Lynch. First question, obviously, is how long is it, is it going to take for an experimental band to call themselves Part Eight? Part Eight. I think eight. it has already happened. <laughs> I reckon the Facebook page has already been. Law of probabilities, yes. Yeah, I so. so I far more want to hear from you two about your reactions from it because I think mm. we've we've I don't want to linger too long on my sad sack reaction to it. So yeah, I'm I'm really curious as to how you you both take this episode as a whole, and particularly within the the yep, overarching the thing that is happening right now mm. to us all. Yeah, well, I mean, I really enjoyed it. But um, I'm sort of – the way I'm watching this series is I'm just – I'm just letting it all wash over me because I feel that every time I, I get a little bit sort of bothered by something that's happening, it mm. seems like a couple of episodes later there's some kind of clarification or there's some further exploration of that thing mm. and there's a reason for it. So I'm kind of just yeah. – I, I sort of just letting everything 
come at me and I'm enjoying it because it's, it's this, is been... why, this is exactly how I'm taking it it's why I'm like I'm mad right now but I'm nowhere near as mad as I think I'd be if I didn't have a suspicion that so many more of these things are going to be further ah. explored and further yep. clarified so I think my my unsettlement doesn't come from I think the show's jumped the shark or I think mm. this episode is like unredeemable or anything like that it's a thing of I know that these things are going to we're going to circle back to them. We're going to yep. get more explanation. It, it'll probably be far more of a satisfying episode to watch once we have everything extant. Mm. I think my anger is right now as an hour of television where I now have to wait two weeks <laughs> for any other further elucidation on what's going on. I found it very unsatisfying. So the timing more than anything as, as to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is I a think hard sort of note to leave it on. It is a very hard <laughs> note. And I think, yeah, because, I had so little to kind of emotionally grab mm. onto with this episode. I think that's where I struggled. I think once mm. we get further on down the track, and I'm sure all of this will be, you know, yeah. teased out because you know, we we all think that you know Lynch and Frost don't like to answer things, but mm. they, they do to yeah. a degree. Things, yeah. things do always get answered to a degree. Yeah, and I feel so, like this answered a lot of questions that have been oh lingering around for a long so for, for for literally decades. Yeah, mm. and like I personally don't particularly need a Bob backstory. Like I'd always just kind of assume that like, yeah, he's he's some kind of inherent evil. Mm, so, and just a demon. Just <laughs> being birthed into the world. Like he, he always made sense to me. I probably didn't need this level of explanation mm. as to where he came from. But I think clearly a lot of other fans are like enormously satisfied with this and it's it's yeah. given them a lot to chew on and a lot to to go go on with. So, mm. you know, if if this is your jam, just like with thumbs up to your kids. Just just mm. run off with it. I, <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, because I thought this was an interesting counterpoint to the secret history, which was an attempt by Mark Frost to situate Twin Peaks within this much larger world yeah. of conspiracy theories and other natures of ev- various other evils in the cultures that have populated the United States. So he goes right back, you know, to Native American mythology mm. through Lewis and Clark, through you know, and he uses the ring as yeah. a symbol of access it's to being the black. Passed from one person. Yeah, another. and so yeah. this was Lynch essentially situating the evil that we've and the good that we've known, and giving them these kind of creation stories, these mm. kind of modern day creation stories, yeah. which yeah maybe weren't necessarily needed to better appreciate Twin Peaks, but it, it is this thing that obviously he thinks is really important. Mm, yeah. It's quite telling as well to see the tweets that came out from the various other actors from Twin Peaks in the day before leading yeah. up to this. Like the cinematographer and things yeah yeah or even Kyle McLaughlin saying you know there was an there was an episode that Lynch just screwed himself away for several days didn't talk to anybody about it and just oh, so this is presumably that, that, oh. that yeah, episode there, there were definitely some reactions I think yeah from the actors who clearly weren't involved in it so mm. didn't have any idea what was going on and them just going yeah wow yeah this is, this is something else yeah and I'll write um <laughs> <laughs> it definitely was like nothing I've watched on yeah, television I mean, for a long time, like a mainstream television show. Yeah, it's it's, it's phenomenal. Like yeah. to be living in this time when this sort of creativity can be funded so mm. well. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. not always hit the I mark, just keep reminding it's... myself that it's. Like, I mean, obviously David Lynch hasn't done nothing for ten years. He's done his other oh, art so projects, yeah. but in terms of a, a major film project, it's sort of been ten years. So mm. I kind of I keep sort of watching it, going, "Oh, I'm so excited that I'm watching David mm. Lynch again." Mm. You know. So I feel more thankful and probably, like I said to you earlier, I'm probably not coming at it with 
the degree of criticism I probably should be sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you just like someone and you just want to yeah. enjoy it. You know. Yeah, see, I can't do what you do. I can't sit back and let it wash over me. I need to, like, grab it and then make out with it. <laughs> I just have to get involved in it. Oh, my Lord. Well, You've got to bob it up. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of gross, but I just can't relax. I don't need to, like, oh, my God, this is happening. Oh my. And so this is always this fresh emotional mm. reaction going on. Um, so I'm interested as to what, who, if, whether you have any theories about the, the boy and the girl. Yeah, well, I've been reading a lot of people saying that they think it's Sarah and Leland, but I don't know if I agree with that because I don't think they look like them. Well, and also this goes against canon. Well, this is also brings into the question, like, yeah. what's canon? Yeah, and <laughs> also why would, yeah, so why would they have been at that because, location? Yeah, we've it? already got the story that Sarah Palmer was born and raised mm. in Twin Peaks and born in 1945. Yeah, that's it. That the Laura, Laura, who's being sent back to Earth, was born in 1971, even though we see Laura Ball heading towards Twin Peaks in 1956. Mm. So you know, also we've been asked, to, you know, to, we've been instructed to question time. Yeah. So that's true. is she just lingering around? But they just don't look like them. Yeah. Like, well, that's that too. Yeah. Um, Especially the boy. Yeah. 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 Um, and also, like, what are they doing in New Mexico? Is <laughs> yeah. another question. I'm I'm willing to see it as like it's a it's a beginning of a chain. Mm. It's you know I feel like Peaks is very big on chains of events and things linking up and people unexpectedly being involved that you didn't suspect were being involved but they are oh no and <laughs> yeah. so yeah i i don't I, I don't want to be too literal in trying to connect them with characters that we've already seen before that might be a bit too easy but then again sometimes lynch and frost go easy yeah, yeah so, it's hard to know like they could just represent once again in a sense because there's mm. these young kids who are kind of cute and awkward in their mm. interaction with each other and they're just an innocent state of being that's mm. Being, I, I tend to think that, that whatever that little froggy thing is 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 corruptive. So yeah, so you think it's a I, I Bob? don't well, I don't know if it's necessarily Bob, but I just definitely think it's not a, a nice thing. It seems to me to be uh, rather sinister. Yeah, especially like hopping into someone's well, mouth like that. That's like, not a nice thing to do. Yeah, because the fandom <laughs> seems to be split fifty fifty on whether it's it's Laura mm. and it's the soul of Laura going into Sarah Palmer in the mm. form of this flying frog um, or. If it's Bob and the woodsmen are like putting everyone in a hypnotic mm. trance to be able to allow this impregnation of sorts to occur, I think it's definitely more malevolent. Yeah, that's, I more, took it as more that as well. Team Bob, there. I think yeah, the the, the way the music is situated mm. and how we've been trained to listen to that sound yeah. throughout the episode kind of does make it feel like there's something ominous yeah. occurring. Yeah. And considering the episode started with a moment of you know. Um, reverse impregnation or whatever the fuck was yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this yeah, episode yeah. is very concerned about the things underneath the surface. So it's very concerned with what could be inside people. It's very concerned with what is underneath the, you know, veneer of societies and human nature and that sort of thing. Mm. So at some point I feel we're going to have to link New Mexico to Twin Peaks to be able to get these kids, whoever they are, to Pearl Lakes or to Twin Peaks, either in 1956 or in the present day, as either characters we haven't met or we have. Okay. So at some point I feel we're going to have to link New Mexico to Twin Peaks to be able to get these kids, whoever they are, um, to Pearl Lakes or to Twin Peaks, either in 1956 or in the present day, as either characters we haven't met or we have. But... um. So I I'm, I'm, whatever it's going to be, I think it's going to have to crash the canonical understanding of some of the people because at the moment no, there's been no mention of New Mexico in any of the Twin Peaks literature up until we get to the secret history mm. and we talk about Dougie Milford and Roswell and 
um, witnessing these atomic explosions. I suppose this is what we get when we have two creators who are kind of working in parallel to each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're working across the same territory, but they definitely have mm. very different destinations in mind. And different think. obsessions. And yeah. This. So Lynch famously hasn't read The Secret History. Um, when I interviewed Mark Frost, and you will hear this interview with Mark Frost on next week's podcast, uh, he does talk about having been on the set around 30% of the time. Mm. So he wasn't mm. that involved and he was mainly writing. Yeah, yeah, that's the impression I got, that it was more. Yeah, he was not yeah. instructing people to do anything. So I wrote a list of people who I thought these kids could be, ah. <laughs> which I'm already I think <laughs> is wildly off the mark. I love your list calling it. Yeah, so um, number one I thought was Sarah Palmer, which a lot of people have gone along with. Yeah. Anonymous billionaire. Oh. Is this the beginning? Does she, this woman become anonymous billionaire, mm. assuming she was born in the early 40s? You know, she'd be like 60s, 70s. Potential anonymous off, off-screen off billionaire. Um, Linda. We still don't really know much about Linda. Oh, yeah. We've, got, we've been yeah. theorising a lot about her being the, the daughter of Audrey from the horrific, you know, double coop Audrey hospital scenario. Um, Have people? Yeah, well, there's yeah. this idea that she either gave birth to Richard twins and Linda as or twins. or something, yeah. Or... Yeah. I get the impression I she's older. I clearly have not been keeping up with all of the... Yeah, but then, well, yeah, there's this thing because we know she's yeah, gone to Washington in a wheelchair. Vet, maybe, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, so but this is another theory. I don't know. Mm. I, I'm still, at the moment, I think most people are still on board the Richard and Linda being the offspring of Doppelcoop and the furtherance of his evil. Dun-dun-dun. Mm. I hope it's not real. Um, no. Theoretical <laughs> 1956 boy includes Philip Jeffries. Could be. I mean, like maybe you know, boy is impregnated by evil or somehow by a woman. Uh, Albert. No. He's, he's, he's around the right age. We don't really know. <gasps> we don't know his origins. Ah. Yet. Oh. But this could be like his introduction to the, the world of, um, or you know, Gordon Cole as another potential candidate. Mm. Doesn't really. Nobody. None of these he looks a would, bit more like Albert. Yeah, I that's thought. what I was thinking. Yeah. But again, I'm like, you know, we, there's just so much we don't know that it could, this could explain Gordon Cole's link to the Blue Rose cases, his mm. intimate knowledge of explosions and corn. And, <laughs> and, uh, Wait for all of Gordon's the meeting uh, expertise of it. about corn. Yeah, well, this is, this is fascinating because <laughs> within this episode now, I think we have this innate link between him and this and the destruction of evil, like he's almost been a, a Laura-like charge with this need to be able to squash evil and as he finds it with the Blue Rose cases. So I would not be surprised, and I hope it doesn't happen, to see him die in the course of kill, of stopping Bob or stopping the furtherance mm. of this evil because it's his, his life minister. It's, it's become this defining factor now, I think, for him. So anyway, I hope that doesn't happen. Also, it could be Leyland. You know, canonically his family have been in Twin Peaks for 75 years. Perhaps he was on holiday. I don't know. There could be all sorts of reasons why he's in New Mexico. Um, and also uh, Major Briggs. Mm. Another Major Briggs, potentially. Possible, yeah, person yeah. who's who has, we don't really know much about his origins. We get a lot about his life and his career in The Secret History, but mm. there is possibility that his, fa- his father could have been stationed there to work in White Plains. He's being brought up in the army because he's certainly an army man. But that's probably all nonsense. Who knows? Um, so Laura Ball was sent to Earth in 1956. She was born in 1971. The, oh, the pilot that dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima was called Robert. Robert A. Lewis. Robertson. Robert Bob. The man who lived oh, next. Okay. Yeah. 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 The bringer of evil. Yep. Just another correlation <laughs> that perhaps doesn't mean anything. Anyway, that's enough of my rambling. Um, we love the rambling. We do, yeah. yeah rambling's yeah, great. Except that's what when twi- it goes wrong, like with the 4.30 thing. Um, also, uh, just, since we've been talking about the woodsman a lot, I thought I might just throw in a bit of Doug Parr. 
Cool. Reference. So Doug Parr's uh, things that Wyndham Earl. There's a, there's a scene in season two in which um, Major Briggs brings a video of young Wyndham Earl in the 60s and shows it to Cooper and at the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department. And on the on and the dialogue from that piece of um, footage, I'll play for listeners now. These uh, these evil sorcerers, um, dog pips they're called. They uh, cultivate evil for, for for the sake of evil, nothing else. They uh, express themselves in darkness or darkness without leavening motive. Uh, now this, this ardent purity allows them to access a secret place where the cultivation of evil proceeds in exponential fashion and with it, the furtherance of evil's resulting power. This place of power is tangible and as such, it can be found, entered and perhaps utilized in, in some fashion. The, the Dukpas have many names for it, but chief among them, See, it all links up, people. It's never just <laughs> random shit for random shit's sake. Um, it might take twenty-five years to make itself yeah. clear, but it will. <laughs> yes. So if we if we are to take Windermere at his word and Mark Frost's, you know, to get a bit a bit of a bit of um input into part eight, then maybe we've got some sort of derivation mm. of these woodsman characters. Um, and they would still play into the whole th- theory that they are just minor denizens of the Black Lodge mm. doing the bidding of entities. Because it wasn't um, Log Lady's husband. He was killed in a fire in the woods, right? Yes. And there's been That's the story. talk of a connection there. Well, for a long time he was, was thought to be the woodsman in the, in, the, in, yeah. the, in the convenience store with the long beard. Mm. Yeah. Um, also the, and also the woman in the Fat Trout trailer park. With a thing oh, of yeah, eye, yeah. also mm. potentially a woods person, Dugbar. Oh. I suppose it might be better to call them in a non-gender specific <laughs> name. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's I think that's really interesting that we've now with these guys we haven't seen them before, but suddenly, or well, maybe we have, but in different in different forms. Yeah, it's amazing how important that one short scene in Firewalk with Me has mm. become. Um, do we want to do sections, or do we feel like we've sectioned ourselves? I don't know. I feel like this episode just doesn't really. It's Lynchian. So, oh, it's, fucking, it's a throwback. Oh, it's fucking Lynch. It it's is the pure heroine Lynch, as the like, executive put it. <laughs> yeah, I can totally understand why this episode is just like massive, glorious catnip to you. <laughs> to me, I was just sitting there just going like, okay, wrap it up, son. So we're not progressing. I don't feel we're progressing. Mm. No. No. Okay. That's, that's not my feel. There's been so many reviews already that have been like, this is the greatest hour of television ever made and people who feel that way, I wish joy to you. <laughs> I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. Cool. Well, um, if you are interested in listening to Claire and I talk about Twin Peaks, we're going to be at Oz Comic Con this yes. coming Saturday from 11am. 11am, I think. Along with hmm. last week's guest, Bismuth Hoban. Um, Very exciting. Cheryl and Fenn is going to be there too. Oh. Um, including and also the actress who plays Barb in Stranger Things, who also features yeah. in Twin Peaks' um, heavily influenced show. Yes, Riveter. that's true. <gasps> also, just wanted to pop in the mention there of Pops in the, oh, yes. in the town. Do uh, Twin Peaks and Riverdale now exist in the same universe? I say yes. Oh mm, yeah, it looks yeah. like it. Yeah, well, <laughs> well spotted. By the way. Yeah. Um, well, that show did start with a body being discovered on a river as well. Yes, and so. also stars Magic. So. Yes, Magic. Of course, yes. Yeah. 
Beautiful. So, yeah, do come along and say hi if you happen to be in Melbourne and at Oz Comic Con you next know. week. We'll be talking on a panel called Twin Peaks, Trolling or Transcendence. Oh. Mm-hmm. There you go. So <laughs> come, please come up and tell Andy all of your theories about the Riverdale Twin Peaks shared yeah. universe. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Jughead is Bob. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, not Jughead. No, not Jughead. <laughs> I know. Don't touch it. It's too good. <laughs> um, thanks very much for making it to the end of our discussion of part eight. Please um, get in touch with us at, via at TP Season 3 on Twitter or Facebook. I'm at Andy Ricky. I'm at Claire Norelli. That's Claire without an I. <gasps> And you can find me wherever you want, but it's far more important that you go find Claire's book and buy it. Yes, good call. It's a cracking book. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you and goodbye.